This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. We're going to jump right in this morning in Philippians chapter 1. If you have that, Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to begin reading in verse 27 this morning. And the title of the message today is simply this, the unity of the gospel. The unity of the gospel. Uh, Throughout the book of Philippians, there's an obvious theme in the book of Philippians of joy. Philippians chapter 4 hits on it very heavily, rejoicing and rejoicing and rejoice. But there's there's a thread that runs throughout the entire book of Philippians, and that thread is this thread of of unity. Uh, The the, the church at Philippi was a young church in comparison to many other churches. They were about 10 years old at this point, and and so Paul was really the only issue maybe that they had uh, was was maybe some some disunity, maybe some disunity. And so uh, Paul was somewhat addressing that, but that's what kind of the theme of this book from the first chapter all the way through the thread there of unity, and that's uh, today's message is the unity of the gospel. Verse 27 in Philippians chapter 1 says this, Only let your conversation, by the way, that's your, your lifestyle or your uh, manner of living, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Last week we spoke a little bit about Paul's suffering, his condition he was in in prison. Verse 30, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. If there be therefore, chapter 2, verse 1, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. By the way, when you're reading your Bible, I know oftentimes uh, we break everything up naturally by chapter and verse breaks and things like that, but don't ever neglect to consider the following verse. So chapter one ends, but the thought really continues into chapter two. And so uh, sometimes I know, you know, in the Bible, in our Bible, you'd be like, read Psalm this, read Proverbs this, read Philippians one. Right, And then it's like the, the next day you'll get to Philippians 2. But Philippians 1 and Philippians 2 connect uh, together uh, very easily. And so just kind of a, uh, not a warning, but just an encouragement there to always kind of look for context within the passages that surround the verses that you're reading. But Paul comes directly off his exhortation to value the message of the gospel with an equally important challenge. In fact, he begins this challenge by saying, only in verse 27 only in uh, other versions of the bible i've seen it translated just one thing just one thing so he talked about the gospel he talked about uh how important the message of the gospel was and then he says hey just one thing only this only this listen to this one thing that i'm about to say say listen to here 
It's as if maybe his audience was drifting and their attention span was drifting and he's writing saying, hey, listen, pay attention real quick. I've got something to tell you. And what was that statement? The statement was this, let your lifestyle, let your manner of living be as the gospel of Christ. Or live your life worthy of the gospel. And we all understand maybe the gospel in here and the, and that the living our lives worthy of the gospel is an impossible feat we'll never live worthy there was only one who lived worthy of the gospel once the one who died on that cross and was buried and rose again and who is the gospel but we are commanded here to live a life that becomes the gospel and that's encouraging to me uh, because I, I know that God knows and Paul knew that we would never attain that. But he says that your life should be becoming the gospel. And, and I see that and I, I believe this morning that, that through Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that he has something uh, for us. How can we live worthy of the gospel? I believe he goes on to explain the unity that exudes from those who live for the gospel. Unity is the key in any organization, but especially in the church. Unity is key in any organization, but especially the organization of the local church. It's good for you to have unity at your job, but when our job and our message and our mission is to proclaim Jesus to a lost and dying world, unity is of utmost Importance. And let's see this morning how Paul will challenge this church. Let's have a word of prayer before we jump into the text. Dear Lord, we love you this morning. God, walk us through this passage. God, I pray that we would understand and learn from your word. God, as we just walk chapter by chapter and verse by verse uh, through this book of Philippians. God, I pray that we would understand how relevant this book is to our lives. Challenge us and change us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen, amen. This morning, uh, very simply, we're going to kind of break down this passage into two uh, sections, speaking of unity. Um, and and I, it's kind of funny, I, I mentioned earlier how don't just end at the chapter, move on to the next chapter. We're actually going to break apart the sections like that, though. We're going to, uh, the, the closing verses of chapter 1 at the beginning and the opening verses of chapter 2 will be our second portion this morning but number one living as citizens in a lost world living as citizens in a lost world uh, notice what it says as we were reading uh, beginning in verse 27 I'm not going to read it all but look at verse 28 it says and in nothing terrified by your adversaries and nothing terrified by your this this leads us to believe that that Paul was speaking to this church about its dealings with the outside world he was speaking to this church about its dealings with its quote-unquote enemies or its adversaries. And so Paul was speaking to the church at Philippi about the way they ought to conduct themselves and the importance of unity in their testimony to a lost world. He uses the language that would help a, a, one of the, the, the Philippian church members uh, to relate to his point. The first thing that he says is this, stand fast. To stand fast as a soldier. Uh, verse 27, that ye stand fast in one spirit. That word stand refers to holding fast or, or guarding the fort. 
standing fast. Paul was encouraging the church to unify just as an army would unify with the same passion that a soldier has for his fellow soldier, with the same spirit that a soldier has for his country, to stand fast in unity. There is nothing like the bond that soldiers have with their fellow soldiers. And I was not privileged to serve in our military, but in, this, uh, in, our, in, in our congregation this morning, there are several people that did serve in the military, and they would be able to tell you this morning that there's nothing like the bond of someone who literally would be willing to give their lives for you. There's nothing like that bond of living together, eating together, you know, whatever else they do together in the military. Everything. You're there all the time together, sweating together, going through a nearly impossible physical feats together. And that bond. And that bond, you know what? That bond of unity militarily is seen uh, to other nations. We are known as a very strong military, and part of that is the spirit and the unity that our soldiers have. They have kindred spirits because they have stood in the face of opposition together. They have stood in the face of opposition together. We'll get to this later in our study in Philippians, but Paul uses similar language in chapter 4 and verse 1. He says this, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. And may our church, may Keystone Church, may we stand together with a, a unified front in the face of opposition. And let me just say this, we will face opposition. Any church that's moving forward and that is, and that is, that is uh, speaking the truth in this culture, we will face opposition. I don't know what the opposition will be, but if we're living on the mission that Jesus gave us, those that shall live godly in Christ Jesus, they will suffer persecution. And our church needs to be a church that is unified, standing together, standing fast, I look at it like this. I love seeing this. Basketball teams, sometimes I'm a sports fan. I apologize if you're not. I'm a sports fan. And I love seeing basketball teams. They'll do their starting lineup, and they'll get together, maybe during the national anthem, and you'll see that they're lock, they lock arms. I love seeing that because they're putting together a unified front in the face of their opposition. And as a church, that needs to be us. As the devil throws his darts, as the devil throws his, his arrows, as the devil maybe shoots darts at marriages within our church, hey, there needs to be a group uh, that stand fast, together, unified against the enemy. There needs to be a group of people that stand together against Satan and all he would do to our church. We need to stand together, unified as an army. But secondly, uh, the Apostle Paul doesn't just talk to them uh, about, uh, about military, he also says this, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul uses another term that was sure to speak to many in the culture of the day and still speaks to me in 2018, and that is sports. The original language, uh, the original word in the original language for striving is, I'm going to try to pronounce this right, synathleo. And you can see that word athlete it comes from there, striving Sports, sporting maybe. If Paul was connecting with uh, Roman members of the church by speaking about soldiers 
in his previous statement, then now he would be speaking to the Greek members of this church talking about sports. And remember we talked about how uh, the church of Philippi was a very diverse church, had people from all over. Uh, It was right on a thoroughfare between two military towns, and there were so many different types of diverse people within that church. But he uses athletic language here. And sports, I think we all understand this, back in that day were a little more intense uh, than sports are today. Uh, In a gladiator ring back in that day, men literally fought to the death and people cheered. How awesome is that? Uh, but uh, that would be like, you know, I think there was a UFC pay-per-view last night, and I'm a pastor, and so UFC pay-per-views are pretty much out of my life because they start at like midnight on Saturday night. Uh, but, but I enjoy watching that. But that would be as if saying, hey, there's going to be a UFC fight this coming Saturday night, and these guys are going to fight until one of them dies. I'll be honest with you, in the country that we live in, that would probably be, I mean, a lot of people probably pay for that pay-per-view and watch that just out of, like awkward weird curiosity but the fact is this sports was was an important part of that day especially in the greek culture but both of these examples military examples and sports examples were used to convey this this thought we are at war we are in a competitive battle we are involved in spiritual warfare whether we like it or not whether it's as 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 serious as the war that we've been fighting in the middle east or if it's as trivial as a basketball team playing against another basketball team. The word picture that Paul was using here is, we are in a, comp- not a competition, we're in a battle. We're in a fight. And what is going to be one of our number one and most important things that we have in our fight is unity. Unity, a unified front in our fight. How, Jesus said this, how are men going to know that you're my disciples? If you have love, one for another. I'm all about outreach. I'm all about loving my neighbor. I'm all about loving unbelievers. I mean, you, if you guys know my heart, if you've been here for one Sunday, I think you know our heart and that our love for everyone. But Jesus said that unbelievers are going to know that you're a believer if you have love for one another. Fellow believers. Unity. Unity. A unified front as we gather together in unity against opposition. Paul addresses the Corinthian church who had strife and division among them. If you remember in, in, in 1 Corinthians, he says this, I am a, one of them says, I am of Paul, one I am of Apollos, one I am so-and-so, I am of so-and-so. He says this, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. Unity. Unity, one of the greatest ways that we can be a light in a dark world is for this dark world to see a church that stands together in unity. Stands together in unity. Hey, why would anyone want to be a part of a church that is always having division, always having strife? Hey, listen, most people have enough division and strife going on under their own roof at their house. People have enough, people have enough uh, voluntary, uh, involuntary strife going on in their life. They don't need to add voluntary strife. Why would, why would an outside, unbelieving, doesn't know Jesus, is just interested, concerned, questioning, why would they want to walk through the door and become a part of something that had infighting and division? No one wants to be a part of that. And Paul was admonishing this church 
in their interaction with the world, in their interaction uh, with, with, with society, that they have a unified front. And so uh, this morning we see that we need to be living in unity as citizens in a lost world. But secondly, this morning as we move into chapter 2, we see that we are living as the church with imperfect people. Living as the church with imperfect people. He kind of makes a transition here into chapter 2 and, and verse 1. Not only was it important for the church at Philippi to express unity in its dealings with the unbelieving world around them, but Paul then wants to be sure to follow that up with the importance of internal unity among the believers of the church. You see, it's not enough to simply show a unified front. True fellowship as a church happens when you show a united exterior and you have true unity internally. Many of you may have heard the phrase, fake it till you make it. And I am not a believer in that phrase. The worst thing that we could do as a church is put on a front that we're all good. Put on a front that everything is okay here. We're all together for the gospel. But internally, we know that we're not. We know that there's disunity. We know that there are issues. And I feel like many churches do that. They have a united exterior and they say things, they preach things like, oh man, we're all for Jesus and we're all for the gospel until you get a part of the church. And the deeper you get into the church, it's infighting. Let me, just, let me just say this. We're not going to be a church that fights over what color rug we put up here. We're not going to be the kind of church that says, man, I can't believe you guys got black pipe and drape instead of blue pipe and drape. Man, I can't believe you bought signs and you did blue instead of yellow. Man, I can't believe that. We're not going to be a church that fights over dumb, petty things. We cannot be a church that is striving together. We cannot be a united church and have infighting. Paul addresses that very thing here in the beginning of chapter 2. First, under the second section here, Paul reminds them of their standing in verse 1. Paul reminds them of their standing. That word if is not being used here in a conditional sense. The word if is not being used like, oh, if you stop eating carbs, as many carbs, you'll lose weight. So, it's like we're getting to the end of January. We're already off our diets, right? So it's all good. If we stop eating carbs, we will lose weight. It's not one of those. It's not one of those, hey, if you get your oil changed every 5,000 miles, your engine will last longer. That's a conditional statement. That is not necessarily what this if uh, means. In fact, I think for us to understand it uh, better, it would be to use the word because. Because. Uh, and so here's what Paul is telling the Christians in the church of Philippi. He's saying this, because you have encouragement in Christ, consolation in Christ, because you have encouragement in Christ, because you have comfort of love, consolation of love, the comforting love of Christ, because you have fellowship in the Spirit, because you have affection and mercy from your Savior. Man, Paul is reminding them of their standing. Hey, as a church, we must always keep a foundation, a base of understanding our standing in Jesus Christ. And the fact that my standing in Jesus Christ is, is the same as, as, as your standing in Jesus Christ and your standing and, and your standing. And no matter what I look like and no matter what you look like, no matter how your life went last week or how my life la went last week, we have the same standing and that is in Christ. Encouragement in Christ, consolation of love, fellowship in the Spirit. We, we all have the affection and mercy of Jesus Christ in our lives. 
Hey, that person that you don't like, guess what? God likes them. That person that you don't want to be around, guess what? God craves a relationship with them. That person that rubs you the wrong way, well, guess what? They don't rub God the wrong way. And, and, and our unity is based on our standing in Christ. And if we could see other people the way that Christ sees them, we would never have an issue with unity. If I could look at my brother and sister in Christ and see them as Jesus sees them, I would never have a problem with unity. Paul reminds them of their standing, but secondly, he gives some instruction and he says this, that the church should have a united, a united mentality. Look at uh, verse 2, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And I mentioned this before, but churches all across this country are full of committees. They have committees to adopt other committees. To adopt other committees to re-landscape the church property. They have a committee formed for a committee about purchasing a new TV that went out. They have, we're not going to become a committee-driven, infighting, ridiculous church. We are commanded by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul is telling this church, be like-minded. Have the same love. Be of one accord, one spirit, one mind. And, and let's think about this in context, right? Because context matters. Paul is in prison in Rome. At this point of his life, Acts 28 is where Paul is. If you want to cross-reference that, he's in Acts 28 right now when he writes this letter. Paul is in prison. Can you imagine? Let's put it in context. Paul says this, fulfill ye my joy. Basically he says this, make me happy real quick. Do something right here that will make me happy. I'm in prison. I'm in shackles and chains. I could be killed tomorrow morning for my faith. Can you guys just get along? Hey, I'm about to die for this gospel. I'm in prison over this gospel. Hey, could, could you not get mad at you? Could, could, could he not get mad at her? Could you guys just get along? Why can't we all just get along, right? That's what Paul, in the Greek, that's what, exactly what Paul said. Why can't we all just get along? But putting it in context, the Apostle Paul is, for all, for all he knows, is on his deathbed in prison for preaching this gospel. And he's basically saying, hey, church, get along with one another. Hey, listen, give some grace. Show some mercy. It's all good. It's fine. Whatever you disagree with, it's all good. Well, I didn't like that song you sang this morning. It's okay. We weren't singing to you. We were singing to God. We'll sing one you like next Sunday. Maybe. I don't know. And if we don't, keep coming back. Because we'll sing one someday that you like. We're not going to fight. This is life or death. The purpose of Keystone Church is to see dead people come alive. The, the purpose of Keystone Church is to see lost people found. People in darkness turned to the light. That's the purpose. And that is so much more important than all the pettiness and all the disunity. And forgive me if I ever come across that way in the, in the future of our church. But I promise you that my mentality is, hey, in the grand scheme of things, whatever we're discussing is not that important. Because in the grand scheme of things, Jesus 
is important. And I've said this before. If all of this is stripped away and we don't have any of this next Sunday, guess what? I'll shoot you the address of my house. We're going to meet and worship in my house. And if we can't all fit in my house, we'll go to someone else's house as well. And we'll meet out throughout this city. We don't care. We're not going to fight. Because at the end of the day, it is all about Jesus. The church should have a unified mentality, a united mentality. But secondly, or thirdly, the church should pursue Christ-like humility. Christ-like humility. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this uh, next week. But he says this, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, humility. In lowliness of mind. And next week's sermon is going to begin in Philippians 2, verse 5. And so I think if you know, if you take a look at it real quick, just skip ahead, tune me out for five seconds to read it. It's let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, goes all through that, who humbled himself. We're going to talk about humility next week, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time. But let me just say this. Pride can kill. Pride can kill. But humility can heal. And I think that's an original quote from me. I never, I've never seen that quote anywhere else, and, and I hope it is. Man, that'd be awesome. Most quotes are, you know, anyway, found somewhere else. But pride can kill, but humility heals. Hey, pride can kill a relationship, but each esteeming others better than themselves can heal a relationship. This isn't a series on personal relationships. But I will just say this, this is a blanket statement, and obviously I know there's sometimes serious, more complex issues, but a lot of times in your personal relationships with your spouse, with your close friends, with your close relatives, whatever it is, when there's strife, pride can kill those relationships. But guess what? Humility can oftentimes heal those relationships. Pride kills, humility heals. It's a very important that we as a church understand that. Humility is simply, it's, it's not just thinking less of yourself. Humility is not like, oh, poor me. It's not really that. It's seeing yourself properly. It's seeing God where he is and seeing you where you are. The most humble people I know don't walk around all mopey and like not looking anybody in the eye and I'm like, man, that's a humble person right there. No, many humble, the most humble people I know are oftentimes very confident. You know why? Because they see themselves for who they really are. They see God for who he really is, the king of the universe who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and they see themselves for who they really are. They were a dirty, rotten, scoundrel, sinner, hell-deserving but Jesus saved them. That's true humility. And as I mentioned, that's just a, pre, a preview for next Sunday. But pride kills, humility heals. And lastly, this morning, the church should have sensitivity toward others. Sensitivity toward others. Look at verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Humility drives unselfishness. If you want to find a humble person, find an unselfish person. Unselfishness, I look at it this way. Humility is the root. Unselfishness is the fruit. Does that make sense? 
a truly humble person that at their core is humble before God will show it, will demonstrate it visibly through unselfishness, through unselfish living. It's not about, am I okay? It's about, are you okay? It's not about, what can I get? It's about, what can I give to someone else? It's not about, hey, is, is, is everything working out in my life? It's, hey, how is everything working out in your life? It's not, hey, we'll uh, make sure everybody prays for me. No, it's about, hey, how can I pray for you? The church should have sensitivity toward others because at the end of the day, it's not about what's best for me. And how many of you understand most of the time, what we think is best for us is probably not what God thinks is best for us anyway. It's not about what's best for me. It's about what's best for someone else. It's not about if my needs are met. It's about whether or not I can help meet the needs of others. It's not about if I can weasel my way into that parking spot at the grocery store before the other person or whether they can or this happened to me last week or when you're at the grocery store and you've got the cart and you're going and it was one of the, it was one of the days last week when it was like no holds barred at the, at the grocery store and they were out of ramen noodles what in the world uh, but I took a picture of it and sent it to my wife because one of my daughters is a, likes it and I'm like the whole thing is gone but I, I was literally we were walking and, and I see the other person walking and I'm like you know, I'm just waiting. Who's going to break? Who's going to break? And finally, we both just started laughing. And he was like, no, go ahead. I'm like, no, man, you go ahead. He's like, you got less than me. I'm like, no, please go. I've got nothing to do. But you know, at the end of the day, in my flesh, I'm a competitive person, man. And I don't care if it's just about getting in line quicker at the grocery store. I want to get in line quicker at the grocery store. Uh, how many of you are like, you're the parking, you're like the parking guru. If you're like me, I will drive around for like five extra minutes just to get a closer parking spot where if I would have just gone ahead and parked I'd have walked up in 15 seconds like I am that guy like I want to get that parking spot and so if I see someone leaving the store I'm like kind of following them where are they going and I'm like kind of creeping over there at them and then as soon as I think I know where they're about to where they're about to get in their car I turn the blinker on real quick I'm like they're getting over there and that's me right in my flesh that's what I love doing but you know at the end of the day it's about other people Hey, you know what? It's, it's not about whether you like that song or not. You know what it's about? And I see this often. It's about maybe that person that is going through a tough time. And you know what? They've stepped out on those waters. And you see them tearing up during that song. Maybe you didn't like it, but maybe they did. Oh, maybe you don't like hymns. And we sang Victory in Jesus today, but you know what? There was somebody here today that they remember Victory in Jesus when they were, when they were a little kid at church, and they loved that song. It's not about what you like. It's about, what somebody, it's, about, it's about other people. It's fine. It's all good. I always tell this to my daughters. Not that my daughters are drama queens. <laughs> Look, and this is great biblical advice. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to find it one day. It's got to be in Proverbs. Take a deep breath. Take it. It's all good. And then here's a good one. This is a Greek word. Chill. That's in the New Testament. Chill. You know, as a church... And I will say this, I mean, thank God. Obviously, we're a brand new church. I'm speaking, this is, this is preventative maintenance here. Uh, I don't want anybody to think, man, y'all are a brand new church and the pastor's up there ripping on, uh, on disunity. No, that's what, I'm just preaching the Bible. So, it's all good. We have no issues. This is preventative maintenance. This is, hey, when we do, when we do make a decision on a church building one day, 
and, we have, and I have a happy dance in front of all of you guys when that happens. Hey, guess what? You may not think that it was the right move, and I'm really sorry, but you know what? It's all about Jesus. You know, uh, we, we may move connect groups to a different night at some point in time. We may change the structure of that sometime. And you may really love what we're doing right now. And I'm really sorry. I apologize in advance. But I promise you every decision is made with counsel. Every decision is made with input. And every decision that we're going to make from mo- here moving forward is going to be uh, as, as good as we know how through the Spirit of God, His will. I don't want to just be a church in conclusion this morning that seems to be unified to those that view us from a distance. But once they get closer to the church, they see all the fighting and squabbling. I don't want to be a fake it till you make it, church. May we be a church that's not only unified externally in the battle against our opposition, but is unified in our inner, everyday, day-to-day workings. Whether you serve in the Keystone Kids, whether you set up and tear down, whether you are an instrumentalist, whether you... Uh, are a part of our connect groups, whatever you are, wherever you are, may we be a church that the closer you get and the more in you get at our church, the more you realize, man, these guys are on the same team. These guys are together. I tell my wife this. I kind of have a life, uh, a kind of a goal in my life, and that is this, and, and follow me. The closer someone gets to me, the more they learn about me, the more we hang out, the more we spend time together, and don't say this wrong, the better I want them to feel about me. And I'm not saying that in a prideful, haughty way. But I've been around so many people where from a distance I'm like, man, that person seems so legit. And the closer I get in that person's life, the closer that I get to them, you know what, it starts breaking down. It starts breaking down. And I leave disappointed, and that's my fault for putting un- unfair expectations on people. But you know, for me, that's the standard of living I want to set. Hey, the closer you get with me, the closer we get to know each other, the more I want you to be like, you know what? Hey, he's real, man. Like, he's legit, like 100%. And our church, that's what I want it to be. The closer people get in, man, these guys love each other. Man, these guys, these guys really care about each other. Man, these guys really put other people ahead of themselves. Today, can we commit to being a unified, healthy, Christ-like, sensitive to others, Humble church. Man, this is what we have to be. And Paul was exhorting the Philippian church in that manner. Heavenly Father, we love you this morning. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.com. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.